Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Tuesday morning, the 27th of June. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. We've spoken about the national flag on this programme quite a bit in the last year because of the way the far right has defiled the flag by using it as a symbol of hate at vulgar protests, intimidating international protection applicants, telling them they weren't wanted here, that they should go home to war, to persecution, to torture or to death as the case may be. People have been horrified at times when I compared how racist fascists have used the flag in a way that seemed to me similar to the swastika or the confederate flag. Now, I never intended to outrage anyone who has respect for the flag. I hope still that the comparison, while shocking, demonstrates two things. How the Irish flag looked to people being shouted at by mobs telling them to go home and two, how mobs of, let's face it, illiterate, ignorant fascists have been defiling my flag and yours. I want to conclude with a few thoughts about our flag. Designed by Thomas Francis Marr as a symbol of peace and reconciliation, it has represented the ideals of our nation for 175 years. During the worst days of the Troubles, some in this country became uncomfortable with the tricolour because of the way it was being used by a small, violent and undemocratic minority who claimed it as their banner. However, they failed to defile it, and it remained our own. In recent years, others have tried to use our flag, especially on social media and at protests, the tricolour once again being weaponised by a small minority, being used as a badge of identification and as a way of excluding others. Our flag, like our foreign policy, does not belong to any one section of Irish society. It belongs to all of us. It carries our values and aspirations, our hopes and dreams. It represents the very best of us as a nation. Our flag deserves better. And our people who believe in fairness and justice and kindness, in honouring our own history of suffering, 
deserve better than that as well. Now that's the Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar. He was uh, speaking at uh, the Consultation Forum on International Security in Dublin Castle yesterday. Let's speak uh, to Independent Senator Jared Crockwell, who's served under the Irish flag as a member of uh, the Irish Defence Forces. And a very good morning to you, Senator Crockwell. Thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. Do you welcome the comments of the Taoiseach? Uh, good morning, Michael. Good morning to your listeners. Yes, I do welcome the comments of the Taoiseach. Uh, we have seen our national flag being used by extremists on all sides of our society. But when you see the flag being used to put it in the face of those who have come to this country fleeing war and all sorts of other things, then you've got to ask yourself, uh, who do these people represent and why are they using our flag? Expressing hatred, using the flag to symbolise that hatred, a symbol of hate. Absolutely. They, they, what, they, what they seek to do is to put themselves forward as the owners of the flag and to use that flag to intimidate those who come to this country. I, I, I mean, I have no doubt we have difficulties and we have problems with the uh, way we're handling the refugee crisis and particularly the international migration. But I mean, that is something for government to deal with, intimidating people. I wonder how many of these people remember, as I do, when we went to the UK many, many years ago in the 60s, and when you were walking around the streets and you saw signs on on houses saying, no dogs, no Irish, no blacks. Uh, That was the way we were treated in parts of London. Um, And it was horrible. I I think the uh, sequence of that was um, uh, in a a different order. I think it was no blacks, no dogs, no Irish. Well, I won't won't Mm. argue with you on that one, Michael. Uh, The key thing is that that no Irish was there. And we, we had it difficult when we immigrated. And those who immigrated to the United States had it extremely difficult. But it wasn't we just that those signs. Migrants. It wasn't just that those signs were offensive, of course, because <laughs> if you knocked on the door and asked uh, to pay over good uh, English money that uh, you'd been earning on the site or whatever, um, uh, the BNB wouldn't have you because you were Irish. That's right. Strange words. Strange yep. words. I experienced something similar in Northern Ireland many years ago where um, uh, we went to buy a car in a particular part of Northern Ireland. They wouldn't sell it to us. Mm. <laughs> which um, really baffles me that it, commerce would get in the way but getting back to the flag what we've seen in Dublin recently and the way the flag has been used to intimidate people who are whether we like it or not they are in dire straits when they arrive here they have absolutely nothing and to have some hooligan with the Irish tricolour intimidating them you'll recall not so terribly long ago we had an encampment burnt uh, during one of these protests uh, these people don't represent the ordinary decent Irish people and um, the Taoiseach was right in his comments I don't always mm. agree with the Taoiseach but in that he was right No, and no, neither do I always uh, agree with uh, the Taoiseach uh, and uh, I'm not sure Uh, that I have ever seen anything uh, as offensive uh, at the same time as uh, the way the Irish flag is being used, in particular over the course of uh, the last year, because it's used in a way that symbolises the way I feel, which is that uh, if you you accept that, then that I and you and all of us uh, hate 
people coming into this country. We hate those people and we want to burn them out of their homes and send them back to terrible parts of the world. I don't believe any national flag should be used as a symbol of hate. If that's right, what can be done to protect the flag? It's something that has bothered me for years, Michael, because if you look at the, the, the way the flag is draped around shoulders, it, um, it really they diminish the value of the flag the way it is used in every possible context under the sun. I thought, you might, say, I thought you might say that, and I'd have a different opinion on that, possibly <laughs> because of the way that people were embarrassed to fly the flag uh, because uh, you'd be associated with the IRA through the Troubles. The Irish flag was rarely used uh, in this country when I was growing up. It was rarely on display except at official occasions uh, and on state buildings and, and that sort of thing. Uh, but I, I remember then moving uh, to another country in Denmark where the flag was always used to celebrate anything worth celebrating. If there was a birthday party or whatever, you'd see flags uh, on bunting around the, the house and all of that kind of thing. And they, and they embraced their flag, but they saw it as something uh, uh, that symbolised celebration uh, and indeed and anything other than hatred, if you like. Absolutely, Michael. I, I think what's coming from me is my old military background. Yes, I, and I understand <laughs> that, and I respect that, and I honestly do. And I know that there's a, an awful lot involved in how you fold the flag and unfold the flag and treat the flag and all of that from a military's perspective. And I, I, I'm sure that that's a very valid argument. Yeah, and the problem you have, you see, uh, the, the, the argument you put forward there from Denmark and the use of the flag as a happy occasion, as something people would be proud to have uh, at their house for a party or whatever, you see, that's fine. But if you if you look to the other extreme, then others would say, "Well, I can use the flag uh, to defend my territory." This is the nonsense that we're getting from these extremists on the right in Ireland at the moment to defend my territory. What territory are they defending, and who are they defending it from, and who gave them authorization to use our flag mm. to, uh, to to intimidate these people? And that's something you've got to be fairly careful about and I suppose once you start bending the rules uh, with respect to the use of the flag and I'm going back to my old military type now yeah. once you start bending bending the rules at all then it's up it's up for grabs for anything mm. and it really is disturbing Michael to see the way the flag has been used particularly at demonstrations in Dublin and at some of these vile events that you see around and if you just look across the border right now there's a tower of, of pallets I mm. don't know how high it is at the moment mm. uh, but they got the sequence of the flag wrong but that's that's neither here nor there yeah. it was again the flag being weaponized. Yeah and we probably can't do anything about uh, the 12th of July celebrations burning the Irish flag out of hatred but what can we do to protect the Irish flag in this state Uh, it would require uh, a constitutional amendment if uh, there was to be a prohibition prohibition if we were to prohibit people from excuse me to prohibit people from using the flag outside uh, of um, official occasions would it not 
it might be possible to put legislation in place that would set uh, limits on what the flag may be used for and where it would be used for incitement to violence or hatred that you could then uh, bring forward charges. As you're aware, Michael, the highly controversial um, incitement to violence uh, bill is going through the channels at the moment. And certainly that is one place or one uh, instrument that could be used where the flag is being used in in, in driving hate messages. Mm. Uh, because uh, we've seen it used as a symbol of hate. I'm not sure if you agree with what I've said previously about how people who were being shouted at would look on the flag uh, in the same way that Jewish people uh, in uh, the 30s would have seen the swastika or in the 40s probably more importantly or uh, how the Confederate flag uh, was uh, seen uh, by people of colour in the United States over so many years. Uh, But uh, it's not just been used as a symbol of hate. It's gone around the world and been seen millions of times by people from other countries looking at Ireland as a country that didn't welcome people here, who hated those people coming here and were not just using the flags, but using slogans such as Ireland is full and Irish for the Irish only and all of that sort of thing. Absolutely. And uh, I mean, anybody who monitors social media and the stuff you see coming out on social media, I I put up uh, some photographs recently of food being served to Ukrainian refugees in two hotels in Ireland. It was absolutely vile, disgusting looking food served in polystyrene, uh, no gravy, nothing, just a couple of potatoes thrown in with two or three fish fingers uh, and stuff like that. And I put it up on social media because I thought people should see we're paying huge money to these hotels and I think people should see how that money is being used. And the amount of absolutely disgusting comments that came back, if they don't like it, let them leave. Uh, They were never getting stuff like this in Africa. All of these horrible, horrible statements being made by what you would think are decent, honest Irish people. Mm. And that is really frightening, Michael. Well, that's idle minds, isn't it? I mean, if you don't have a job and you're sitting in front of your computer or on your phone all day, uh, I suppose your mind is uh, affected uh, as negatively as uh, that to come up with uh, such horrible thoughts uh, about people you know nothing about or where they've come from. Uh, And that uh, seems to be a big part of uh, the problem uh, who are driving that vile type of conversation in this country that purports to represent all of us. Having said that, listening to you this morning, Senator Crockwell, uh, I think people would be concerned as well because if we were to follow your line of logic, uh, we wouldn't be able to take uh, the flag to football games or rugby games or when the national team of any description is playing. Yeah, unfortunately, that's the that's the Rubicon we have to cross and that's the area that we have to make decisions on because what for one person is a joyous occasion for another person it is absolute terror as you, as you rightly point out the flag can uh, be symbolized similar to the nazi swastika if you're if you're uh, a refugee in this country and having people scream at you with this flag in front of you that the flag becomes the emblem of terror and this is this is something we have to be extremely careful about i love to see uh, or sports people, for example, uh, at the end of a, a, a triumphal period with the flag. But I, I have difficulty watching 
supporters with the flag wrapped around them. So that's just a that's just an old conservative expressing mm. his view, and I wouldn't like it to become the common view in the country. It's just my own personal view on that. Okay, but it is important, isn't it? Absolutely. I, th- mm. I think, Michael, it's great that you're having the conversation because people need to stand up to this thuggery that's going on in the country and say, you, you're not doing this in my name. Mm. I, I, I think it's great uh, that uh, the Taoiseach uh, made his utterances yesterday and singled out this as a specific problem and essentially has started this conversation. Uh, as you say, you don't often agree with the Taoiseach, nor do I. Uh, sometimes I do, and I, I certainly did yesterday, and I think it'll be interesting as well to hear what our listeners have to say about it now that the conversation is underway. And thank you indeed for joining us, as always, on the programme today. That's Independent Senator Jared Crockwell. You're welcome to talk to us now, 0419832000 is our telephone number. That's 0419832000. By the way, we've a lot of comments that came to us about RTE yesterday and we didn't get to any of the comments yesterday which was very remiss of us and we've left plenty of time today on the, co- uh, the programme for comments. So we'll be coming to those comments and any comments that we get today as well. And you can text or WhatsApp us if you want to make comments 0861800658 email michael at lmfm.ie Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, staff at RTE are to stage a protest at lunchtime today because of the issues emanating from the revelation that Ryan Turbury was paid huge amounts of money that were not declared to the Oireachtas or the public for that matter. Let's speak now to Karul Oshiakon, who's Secretary of the RTE Trade Union Group. And a very good morning to you, Cruel, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. It's been a, a very difficult week for staff at RTE. Uh, do you think uh, many will turn out at this protest today and uh, what will they be saying to the general public as well as the management, as well as the government? Because I know that you're looking f- for a meeting with the Minister as well. That's correct, yeah. Um, I suppose uh, if, if the anger and disappointment and dismay and shock uh, that's reflected uh, around campus here in Donnybrook and throughout the regions uh, amongst our members uh, is anything to go by, there will be a significant turnout today. I suppose from what, from the, the, the trade union group's point of view, the, the people we represent are... I suppose the ordinary workers in in uh, in RTE, some of whom are household names, but most of whom are not, um, and the sense of betrayal that they feel, um, and and I suppose the protest this afternoon um, is is has, has come about to to give that the opportunity to staff to express their that anger and dismay, um, just like the public, I suppose, and like um, committees in the Oireachtas and government. Um, we want answers as well, mm. and uh, you know the next couple of days um, present present that opportunity starting today with uh, the release of as much information as possible from RTE that they can give us from um, uh, the review of uh, Grant Thornton uh, to date. Okay, as a representative of the RTE Trade Union Group, are you a representative of? employees of RTE or do you also uh, represent contractors? We represent uh, both. Um, anyone who's a member of any of the trade unions in RTE, representative of staff, are are, uh, are part of the TUG, if you like. So that would cover the National Union of Journalists, 
sit to connect, unite the union, equity for actors and uh, music uh, musicians union of Ireland for mm. musicians. Uh, Batu is also represented. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, so anyone who's a member of a union is represented by the trade union group. Yeah. Okay. Non non members, we we are you know we, this is. This is a collective thing, and whereas we represent those who pay subscriptions to unions, mm. um, we have solidarity with, with our non-union members. Well. Okay, uh, I'm sure um, that uh, using contractors is valid uh, at times, but there is a question mark over the use, RTE's use of contractors. Is there not? Uh, it's a, a practice that was stamped out in local radio back in the 1990s because revenue said, whose leg do you think you're going to pull here? Um, you at your desk or in your studio at nine o'clock every day. I think Ryan Turbody had to be in a studio at nine o'clock every day. Uh, he was, oh, well, to all intents and purposes, an employee. As you know, as you know, Michael, if he's on air at nine, he's in a lot sooner than that. But no, but the point, the, 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 the no, but the point, the, the point is that he, he's an employee uh, who. He's uh, not an employee. No, but 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 in reality, he was an employee. That's no, the point. He's but that he's not a member of staff, I suppose. Yeah, but that, that, that no, no, but that's the that's the question. Why why are there arrangements like that in place for people who would have been looked on as a member of staff in any other organisation? As I say, no. in local radio, you're not allowed to enter into arrangements like that. I, I put it like this: We issued the trade union group issued a statement yesterday, Michael, in which we called for. Uh, an examination of the manner in which RTE engages third-party agencies and the use of third-party contracts for just that reason. We've also called for uh, the publication of all remuneration packages of the current mm. executive board. Uh, and you'll have seen, obviously, with uh, various contractors such as Claire Byrne, uh, Brendan O'Connor, um, making making uh, clear, I suppose, what they're being paid and that they were accurate. Mm. There are members of, but staff. they're not employees either. No, uh, but there are members of staff like yeah. Duffy uh, and and they uh, have Mary McCallaghan who 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 are uh, uh, and. I, I I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's, this this is the kind of worms that it has been opened. I mean, if you take uh, somebody like Claire Byrne, I don't know how many people she has working for her on her programme, maybe 10 or 15 people uh, researching the programme for her. Uh, and then she has a, a private company uh, and uh, an agency negotiates her salary. Then she runs up expenses, paying staff, I, I'm sure, as well, I've, is the I've case outlined our people. position yeah. on that, calling for, for an examination of the manner in which RTE engages with third-party agencies and the use of third-party contracts. But from our point of view, the UG, mm. today is, is the first of three days where we can get some answers on this that might take the heat and mm. uh, pace out of the crisis. So tomorrow, we're calling on anyone involved from senior management, which, in, which include the former DCC mm. Forbes, or anyone with any knowledge of the payment arrangements uh, to reveal all that information in full to the Arts and Media Committee tomorrow mm. and on Thursday to do the same to the, the Public Accounts Committee. Mm. Okay. Um, the TUG has called, as you mentioned, for a meeting with Minister uh, Catherine Martin mm. to ensure unions and staff will be centrally involved in the external examination mm. okay. and a review that she's called. Uh, we'll also be looking for and, and, uh, meeting with the uh, sure. Uh, and Karul, I understand. I understand that you're opposed to uh, third-party arrangements like this. Uh, but I, I suppose uh, the reason I was going down that line was to explain to our, our listeners the nod and wink 
uh, culture that there is in RTE and that this has resulted in these shady deals. I mean, you're a member of uh, the National Union of Journalists uh, and uh, represent journalists as well as the trade union group in RTE. Have you ever come across a situation where a journalist has been uh, on the payroll of a commercial company? To my mind, that is incredible and completely at odds uh, with everything uh, that I understand uh, about independent journalism. Well, look, I mean, Michael, your previous statement, I, I don't know if I could back up. I don't, I don't know if you have any evidence that ha- that hasn't come to light um, until now. We're waiting for answers, more from RTE today, and, and uh, we expect further answers um, mm. coming from senior executives okay. uh, who may have been involved tomorrow and on Thursday. Okay. Uh, and what else? Uh, what about payment in kind? Uh, cars, for example. Well, the review of uh, called by uh, Minister, per, uh, Minister Catherine Martin uh, will, I'm sure, examine all of that and we'll be keeping a close eye on it. Okay. Uh, people uh, are saying um, there's a question of trust now. Uh, there certainly is a question of credibility, isn't there, um, for people in RTE earning such huge salaries uh, to be calling people of importance to account? Well, this is why uh, staff that we represent are um, furious uh, with the revelations, I mean, with the shockwaves of this that continues and it's, it's changing, uh, you know, hour to hour almost while they're still trying to do their day-to-day work. And the only thing that, that staff here can do, who had nothing to do with any of this, um, is to continue to try and, and uh, provide those services, provide that content, make those programs, tell those stories and gather that news that has, um, that has led to um, uh, trust in the past. Uh, and we have a significant amount of work to do to rebuild that trust. But of course, we were, uh, um, um, the, the trust with us was broken as well. So we do share that betrayal that the public mm. feel and that, uh, that government feel because of it. Mm. Which is a dreadful shame because uh, I would rate RTE's journalism as as good as it gets, the best in the world, uh, and doesn't deserve to lose its credibility because of a golden circle. Uh, would that be. Uh, 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 the right perception that there's been this golden circle in RTE uh, that is completely alien to the people or a lot of the people that you represent, uh, some of whom would be on zero hours contracts uh, or close to minimum wage pay. Yes, I I wouldn't go so far as to to give it the term golden circle because the the facts of that have have yet to be revealed and there are people who had no knowledge of this. What we need to to hear, and you're right in mentioning those on zero hours and on very low pay. I mean, the majority of RTE workers are on less than than 60,000 and a good deal less than that Mm. um, uh, per annum. So, you know, what I want to hear, what what we represent uh, members and what they want to hear is um, the information on who had knowledge of this Mm. uh, and why it was sanctioned in such a way. And can you tell me, Karul, do staff in RTA want to hear from Ryan Turbidy? That's less the problem, I suppose, uh, at the moment. Um, it's not so much what he has to say or or what he earns and more who decided 
to make arrangements in what he was paid and how it was paid to him uh, and why they made those decisions. Mm. That's what what our focus on. It's corporate governance, um, much more so at the moment than what uh, contractors are paid. Okay, well, this anger that you talk about will manifest uh, in, in this lunchtime protest today. Uh, is more than that being considered? I, look, I, I, at the moment, I don't know, but I, I, the, the anger of staff will continue until we start finding out what happened, who knew, who signed off on it, and how come it took you know, so long to, uh, for this to come to light. It's important to, to state, I suppose, that it was already his own auditors that spotted this um, and that the board did uh, you know, acted as, as quickly as they could on that. So uh, that is um, that is a tiny uh, indication of of I suppose um, uh, of positivity within this uh, this this terrible terrible story. Okay, we leave it there and thank you very much indeed uh, for taking the time to speak to welcome. us uh, this morning. Much appreciated. Uh, that's Karul Oshia Khan. He's uh, the secretary of RTE's trade union group. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let me bring you some of uh, the comments uh, that have been coming to us. Uh, a lot of people in touch today and a lot of people who contacted us yesterday as well uh, whose comments we didn't come to. We'll put that right, I hope, uh, this morning. And we have plenty of time on the programme for your comment. If you have any thoughts that you wish to share with us, 0419832000 if you'd like to ring, text or WhatsApp oh, 0861800658 email michael at lmfm.ie Let's start with the flag will we? Uh, Eric Cuthbert in Dundalk says the reason that there were signs saying no blacks or Irish in England is because there were no jobs for English people. Once the jobs became plentiful everyone was welcome. The Irish built the motorways in England uh, says Eric Cuthbert. Uh, I'm not sure if you've ever been called uh, a paddy Eric or or Mick um, for that case uh, but uh, I think there certainly was uh, 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 discrimination against the Irish uh, if you go back uh, to the 50s right up I would imagine to the 90s uh, when uh, there was better acceptance of Irish people uh, in the United Kingdom it sounds like a sweeping statement now that it comes out of my mouth but I, I don't think there's any um, uh, doubt about what I've just said. Betty Daly, thanks uh, for your text as well. She says, the far-right gangs of Morans want to be seen as hard men. Uh, They're trying uh, to be more vicious uh, than in England and there are some individuals who have a lot to answer for egging on their gangs of Egypt, says Betty. Thank you indeed for that. Tom says, our flag is our flag. Our being the important word here. It's not yours. It's not mine. It's ours. You say things that I don't and do agree with. People are afraid of so many people coming into our country, our country. Who are you to talk like you do of them? Our daughters, friends, students, house was broken into at four o'clock. Uh, uh, by uh, somebody uh, and what is being done about it. It's not 
uh, that refugees are being housed in affluent areas. I saw actually there was only seven refugees in Dublin 4 the other day. That's a a valid point. Why is this? Ask the questions and answer this, please. Uh, And uh, to let you know, I have Ukrainian kids in my house. Thanks uh, indeed, Tom. I do think you ask uh, some very valid questions. Uh, And there's no doubt, and there's an awful lot of questions to be asked uh, about how immigration uh, uh, has been handled in this country uh, and the amount of uh, people coming from Ukraine and the increase in the number of international applicants uh, as well uh, and how we're serving them uh, apart from the people who have been here already. The fact though remains that they're entitled to be here, they're legally here and we have an obligation to accommodate those people uh, because they've come uh, for the most part from terrible parts of the world but apart from whether they're genuine or not we're obligated to do it and if we don't do it as we saw recently we end up being fined. Tom, uh, a different Tom uh, says if you want to use the constitution to protect our flag about uh, how about you use what is already in our constitution to stop people coming into the country (laughs) without passports. There's nothing in the constitution Tom to stop uh, people coming into the country without passports. Um, sorry, but um, I've read your comment, uh, but it's just simply wrong. Uh, and I don't know if you had been working as a, a translator uh, for the Americans in Afghanistan and the Taliban wanted to kill anybody uh, who <laughs> uh, supported the West and you were trying to get out of Afghanistan. Would you go and ask the Taliban for a passport? I don't think so, because they think they'd kill you. Uh, and that's one of the reasons, just as an example, why people come to the country without documents and that type of thing. Uh, and there's many other reasons. Um, we'd uh, WhatsApp message from Sean in Dublin 9 about RTE. He says, who would want to poach a so-called star from RTE? These stars are just a few well-paid know-alls who have huge egos and think uh, they're above and better than other presenters. I've stopped listening to that show years ago. It's local radio for me, says Sean in Dublin 9. Thank you, Sean. I think the argument has always been uh, that RTE will lose the stars if they don't pay them all the money. What was it Brian Tuberty was earning there one of the years? 540,000 euro or something like that? Uh, I mean, in my money, you'd buy two or three houses with that. Um, But anyway, uh, the argument RTE has put forward is that you'd lose them. They'd go elsewhere. Now, I don't think that there's one media company in the country who uh, would be able to meet that money. So uh, it'll be interesting to watch Ryan Turberty now um, if he doesn't return to RTE. I think some people think he won't return to RTE. So where will he go? If he has to earn that sort of money, if he wouldn't get out of bed for less than... 400 or 500,000 euro a a year, where is he going to sleep? Will he go to the United Kingdom? Are there enough jobs in the UK for these so-called stars? Um, When you consider it it in terms of what the Taoiseach earns, um, you're talking two, three times the amount of money that the Taoiseach earns in this country uh, and uh, that's for running the country. Um, We pay somebody two or three times that salary for talking about how <laughs> the country is being run. Uh, we had somebody else in touch with us saying, hi, Michael, looks as though all one has to do is uh, to work for a state or a semi-state body uh, and then resign because you've no accountability. Look at Deep Forbes, Angela Kearns, Rehab, etc. We're all in the wrong jobs. Uh, the Taoiseach is suggesting uh, that Deep Forbes should appear before the Oireachtas committees 
but he's not demanding her presence. Thank you indeed uh, for that. I don't think the Taoiseach or anybody else can demand. Uh, she's a private citizen now that she has resigned. So there will be no compelability, as the case may be. Navin listener in touch with us yesterday uh, when we were speaking to Alan Laws about uh, the people that he accommodated, if you like, in his high ace van outside the offices of Mead County Council because there's no out of hours service there to provide emergency accommodation. Uh, our listener said maybe Alan Laws should try the Colombians in Dalgan Park uh, because there's lots of empty rooms up there. Knocking the door will be open as they always tell the rest of us, says the Navin listener. Mary in touch uh, about uh, that situation saying it's disgraceful as well that people are forced to sleep in, a, that Alan was forced to sleep in a van with that young couple to highlight their case. What is the point of having emergency accommodation when it cannot be accessed in an emergency situation? Do Meath County Council and all local authorities think that people only become homeless Monday to Friday, 9 to 5? Where is the out-of-hours support or weekend services, she wants to know. And she says this country is a joke. Thank you indeed, Mary, for that. We had Tommy in touch with us as well about the RTE situation and Dee Forbes' announcement that she's retiring uh, or resigning as the case may be he says the phrase rats deserting a sinking ship comes to mind she's jumped so that she cannot be forced to appear before the Oireachtas committees Tommy says he has a feeling that we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg with all of this and there is much more to come Sarah in touch about the pay scandal at RTE as she puts it she says it's really impossible to keep up with it it's constantly changing as all of those involved race to cover themselves as more and more information comes to light what happened is that the state broadcaster uh, is paying all, the, all of this money and it's disgusting to watch. No doubt there are countless more revelations to come out. She says that anyone she has spoken to about it has been saying they've no intention of paying the licence fee going forward and she says she cannot blame them so RTE is facing into even tougher times in the future. Um, let's talk about the contractors, uh, Sarah. Uh, did you know that Ryan Turbidy doesn't work for RTE? Uh, and that he never worked for RTE. Uh, he's self-employed. Uh, and uh, he uh, then goes through this agency. Uh, and the agency negotiates its pay. It's an unbelievable situation in itself, apart from Renault paying part of his wages. Uh, but uh, what it means is then that he forms a private company. Uh, and if, let's say, he has 15 people working on his radio programme, which lasts 46 minutes, and he sets up a private company, he then employs staff. Why does he employ staff if he's working for RTE and he has a team of 10 or 15 people to produce a 46-minute radio programme? And then there's things like staff training. And then there's issues to do with PRSI because he plays the self-employed PRSI rate. And RTE don't have to play an employer's PRSI rate. And then there's the question of payment in kind um, and that sort of thing as to whether... Um, Commercial companies are giving gifts to presenters. Uh, I mean, I think that's a, a very reasonable question under the circumstances. Uh, and what influence does a commercial company have over a presenter apart from turning up at, at events or whatever? Does the presenter uh, ever mention if um, there's uh, negative news about that company? Can they if they're in the payroll of the company? 
Uh, if not, what does that mean in terms of what you're being fed? What kind of information are you being fed? Uh, are you listening to an elongated advert? They're the kind of questions I think uh, that I'd be worried about. But anyway, let's uh, take a break and we'll come back. We'll have more comments uh, if you do want to get in touch with us later in the programme. Our phone number 0419832000, text or WhatsApp 0861800658, email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, as I'm sure you've heard on LMFM's news, Fine Gael Senator John McGahan is calling on Louth County Council and the government to provide more money to Dundalk Tidy Towns after the Irish Business Against Litter announced that it is the dirtiest town in the country. Let's speak uh, to Senator McGahan, who's on the line, and a very good morning to you, and thanks for joining us. Uh, let's talk uh, about the rubbish in Dundalk, first of all, because it's an awful turnaround. It's gone from the best in the country, the cleanest in the country, cleaner than European norms, to the worst, the dirtiest town in uh, the country, extremely littered as things stand. Yeah, and like even just as you say it there, it's kind of, it's depressing to say the least when you read it out there in such clear language that where we were and where we've gotten to. And it's through no fault of the Dock Tidy Towns who do, you know, they're volunteers, they do great work. Anyone who's from the Dock will see them out on the road morning, noon and night. But I think what's important to do is just provide a bit of context and background into the funding aspect of it and where funding has gone wrong perhaps or where it could be better allocated in the last few years. So in May 2018, the council changed the funding for tidy towns and county allowed. It used to be based on size, so a town like the Dock would have had roughly forty to forty-five thousand euro, which is a lot of money. Um, they decided to put that funding into a capital fund, which was all the money was say amalgamated into one fund, and every single tidy town from say Omeath and North Louth to Tullyall and outside Drogheda, everyone would be able to apply for the same fund. And you would put applications in and projects in, and then applications and projects would be decided upon. So you weren't guaranteed to get funding each year. They tried to spread it around, but, mm. but, but you weren't. So the real issue there was that the duck went from roughly 40,000 to roughly now what they would get is about 10,000 euro. And that's through two things. One of them is a community grant, which caters for certain projects. Like they, they do projects like, bio, like, for example, there's a butterfly garden in Bay State, you know, biodiversity projects, actual projects. And then immediate grants are, can be used for projects, but are really used for um, machinery, whether it's buying strimmers, you know, that type of stuff. So it's used for machinery. So, so really, that's where it is. And I really think we've gotten to where we are now because you've seen the funding go from roughly 40 to 45,000 euros, which is probably too much. You know, mm. the tidy towns would admit that that was probably too much for what they wanted to spend. But now it's gone to a stage where it's around 10. And I think we need to redirect funding back into it to try and fix this. OK, but as I understand it, the real problem is the litter louts and indeed the dumping at uh, the Close Recycle Bank and the environs on the Castletown Road, as an example, or the car park adjacent to uh, the waste ground. Yeah, actually, you're, you're dead right. So the IBL, the IBL report yesterday, it identified two major litter black spots, uh, which you've just identified, and both of them were based around privately owned clothing banks on the main approach roads into Dundalk. So clothes banks, when you think about it, they become a real issue. Like if you're going to a clothes bank, and it's people are the problem as well, by the way. I'm not excluding that. It's, it's people who are littering. Mm. So people are going to a clothes bank, X amount of clothes in a bag, it's full. Unfortunately, they're not going to go and look for the next clothes bank. They're just going to leave it beside that bank. Bad weather, rats, animals, whatever come along, rip up the bags, and as a result, you have a clothing black spot. So how, how do you fix that? Well, 
I think you can do two things. You can either try and monitor these closing banks into dock. Uh, that would be costly. That would be time-consuming. Or you can just remove them. You know, they're privately mm. owned closing yeah. banks. We have mm. a number of charity shops in the dock, more than happy to take it. So why not remove the problem in terms of these little black spots? And then, because we probably would have been much higher up in the ranking mm. tables if it wasn't for those closing banks. Yeah. In the first or, or the recycling facility at Tesco or the waste ground at the corner of Maxwell and uh, St. Nicholas. Uh, but if people are, are uh, leaving their bottles or their clothes at uh, these bring banks, uh, you can put a camera on them now. That was uh, outlawed for some time, but it's possible to do it again. And you could actually turn it into a nice little learner for the council. Um, yeah, it, it is possible to do that now. But again, it comes into the concept of it. Is it, uh, is it worth it in terms of time? Is it worth it in terms of finance? Or do we just remove the problem altogether? They're mm. privately owned. Maxwell's Row, where you mentioned as well, again, privately owned. Uh, and it was unfortunate because the, the residents in Nicholas Avenue have done so much work on trying their best around that. But when it's privately owned, there's not much you can do. Mm. Uh, but I, I, I take it, though, that if you remove the bring banks, uh, people will just dump their stuff elsewhere. Uh, and uh, that I, I think the argument could be made that if you put a, a camera on them and caught the culprits, uh, you could teach them a lesson. Uh, yeah, so what I would say is that that definitely has a role to play when it comes to tackling litter. And there are known litter black spots, of which lots of people would have been on your show about, whether it's urban or rural. Uh, but it, just in terms of the specifics of this report and these closing banks, I think it would be more useful to just remove the closing banks altogether. And then where proper litter black spots are mm. identified, whether that's from illegal dumping through the, off the side of roads that advance, that's where you use that type of that's where you use that type of CCCTV technology, which is going to act mm. as a real deterrent in the first place. Okay. Uh, well, I, I was- if you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. plushcare.com slash weightloss. It's a carrot and stick uh, kind of conversation. You're talking about a, a carrot to fund the Tidy Towns Committee and to help them to do more of the great work that they're already doing. And there's the stick, which is to clamp down on the litter louts. Uh, which is as much of a, a cultural problem as anything. Uh, and uh, it would be in everybody's interest, wouldn't it, uh, to change that culture if there is a, a culture where people find it acceptable to throw their rubbish for someone else to come along and not just clean up after them, but to pay uh, what they should have paid for the clean-up. Yeah, ah, look, it's rotten. Like, you know, I, I spoke to you nearly two years ago when I was doing a Tidy Towns litter pick along a hedgeway just outside the dock. And I couldn't get over the amount of rubbish from takeaways, whatever it was, just thrown out windows into our hedgerows. You know, it really, it's, it's, it's rotten, to be honest with you. I can't understand anyone who, who would do that. But um, look, unfortunately, humans are going to be humans and people act in ways that we can't explain. But, um, but why can't we catch them? Why can't we find them? Why can't we punish them? Uh, yeah, so that, uh, a year and a half ago you couldn't uh, because you uh, there was issues around CCTV yep. legislation. Mm. That legislation has come mm. through now, so we now can do that. Data and there is funding and that, available. Yeah. yeah, so that's all been resolved. Mm. There is funding available for local authorities now to put in CCTV in mm. litter black spots. So that's going to be, but that's only come in in the last six to eight months. I think mm. so that that is going to be that is going to play a role. Um, but just specifically with the dock, when I'm talking about extra funding. It's not that I'm calling for a huge extra one mm. cash. I'm just asking for the funding to be maybe reallocated that bit better yeah. for extra funding to go towards the dock in the next year or two. Mm. The same way if it was any other part of the county that was down money. So mm. And that's fair enough, but could, could, could it not be done in tandem with some sort of clampdown to stop this type of behaviour? Uh, because uh, for all the tidying up you do, I, I mean, you could... Uh, tidy up one street, go around the corner and before you know it, someone's just uh, thrown their litter uh, on the place that you've just cleaned up. Yeah, absolutely. So it goes back to what you said there previously. It's a carrot and stick approach. At the minute, we're uh, providing, you know, carrots, for want of a better word, and what you could do. But at the same time, that stick approach is through clamping down on illegal dumping. Mm. Uh, Again, I spoke about it two years ago where I said, why not put car registrations uh, on on uh, on takeaway foods that would definitely make people think twice before they throw it out their car window. So there is a it, it, it's a, there's so, a sorry say that again. Put car registrations on what I didn't. Quite. Yeah, so two two years ago I spoke to you about putting car registrations on um, on takeaway packaging from takeaways like a McDonald's or right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's yeah. always been a debate, but it is something that's actually been used in the UK and elsewhere. Uh, and GDPR is a bit of a red herring uh, when people say, oh, GDPR, it doesn't really come mm. into it, you know, because anyone can see a car registration. You know, you walk outside your front door and you can see 20 if you want to. Mm. But what I would just say about the dock is, uh, Drogheda, for example, was ranked bottom in the last year or two. Mm. Uh, the council established a litter task force and now Drogheda has climbed up the ranks. Mm. I think that would be really good for the dock. Secondly, I think the tidy towns in the dock should be provided with their own dedicated space, uh, somewhere they can store equipment, a base to work from. Uh, thirdly, uh, you see it with uh, two scheme workers are probably with most tidy town villages right around County Louth, but Dundalk, a size of 42,000 people, doesn't have a two scheme worker. Someone like that who's working full time, again, would go a really, really long way towards helping Dundalk climb mm. the ranks. Cleaning and up. Finally, and yeah, and okay. finally, in terms mm. of extra funding, perhaps on this occasion with Dundalk at the bottom, the council would consider paying for X amount of equipment that they could then have for five or six years. And instead of the council having to, instead of the tidy towns having to use 
their amenity grants to buy that equipment, that then go, could go into other projects which will help us climb the ranks. So I just think it's mm. a smart reallocation of funding over a short-term basis mm. for a year or two to get us back up the ranks because we're the premier. Mm. And, uh, and I don't have any problem with that. I think most people would like the idea of uh, some money being spent on tidying up, but try to reduce the bill as much as possible because it's me and everybody listening to us who ends up paying for it, uh, for to pay to clean up after other people. Uh, and we'd like them to stop littering. Uh, and we'd like, uh, I think, uh, the council to be more proactive and to clamp down on littering. Yeah, so for example, I'll give an example of how the word proactive. Um, just just a small example since we're, we're on the topic of it. Uh, if you are at the, uh, on the, on the motorway in Laos, at the Stabannon, at the RD turnoff at Stabannon there, for example, right? Yeah. The, you had X amount of cars parked there with people carpooling along the sides of the motorway. The litter along the hedgerows was just unbelievable. Uh, Stabannon and Tidy Towns were able to go to the council uh, and proper, uh, how would I describe it, mobile covert CCTV was put there for six months. People were told that it was there. People were made aware of it. And all of a sudden, X amount of prosecutions or fines uh, happened as a result. And then all of a sudden, the litter more or less cleared up. You yeah, know what I mean? People exactly. exactly. So there's yeah. an example of how yeah. that worked well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, so, did, so, so the question is, did Lowe's County Council learn from that? Yeah, I think I so. mean, that's a no-brainer, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and you see, mm. but but again, you see the council, if you look at it over the last couple of years, you see the council doing that time and time again, whether it's out towards Hackball's Cross uh, on the road out there where there was substantial littering, whether it's uh, up the mountain in uh, Ravensdale at the back of it, Eden Tubber, whether it's tyres, etc., etc. The council have been able to bring that in and use it. Um, and I'm not knocking the council here, you know, they're doing a good job, they work well with the tidy towns throughout County Loud, but what I'm just saying is I think we need a, a smarter, not smarter, but just a certain reallocation of funding to get Dundalk back up the line. You know, it's just, mm. it's not acceptable. Like, there's about €150,000 in the whole budget for County Lowes for every tidy town community. And uh, while we have smaller villages and towns doing excellent work, you know, Dundalk is a town of 42,000 people. Uh, it's bottom of the list. It's not good for the town, which is doing so well in so many other aspects. And I think we need to put a lot of effort into this and giving the tidy towns the ability to do their job properly. Okay. While you're here, tell us about the school buses. Uh, you can't drive a school bus if you're over 70, is that right? Yeah, mad, isn't it, uh, when you think about it? Mm. So, again, uh, context, you'd, you'd, sorry, you'd like that to change, yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So the context of that is about over a decade ago, Bus Aaron decided that if you were 70 or over, you're not fit to drive a bus. And that decision was taken on the advice of the Chief Medical Officer for Bus Aaron. And I quote, given the demanding and safety critical nature of school bus driving, 70 years of age is deemed a reasonable age at which to retire from such employment. So every summer, again, you have politicians every summer and, uh, uh, and people every August talking about school transport to you. Uh, all the time, Bus Aaron will say we have a shortage of drivers, shortage of drivers, shortage of drivers. And yet we're discriminating against a whole cohort of people who are ready and willing to drive because of an arbitrary age that was selected over 10 years ago and has been reinforced. So just to give you an example, if I am 70 years of age and if I have a private bus on a school route, I have to hire somebody under the age of 70 to drive the bus five, six kilometres, drop it to school. I, at the age of 70, could then go to the school. The, the kids get there at nine o'clock. I could go at five past nine and take the kids on a private tour to Malin or Maisonhead or wherever in the country, you know, so... It's, 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 it's silly. It doesn't make sense. Uh, I think it should be changed. The issue about is young drivers as well, because bus air and equally have a rule that you can drive a bus in this country if you're 21, but you can't drive a school bus until you're 25. So there's no incentives 
for young people even to get in to replace older people who they're mm. saying can't drive. And they're so, outright bans, are they? I mean, if you're 70 or 71 or whatever, um, yeah, you, you, you can't drive a school bus at all. There's no exemption, no special licence, no special nothing. test, nothing. There's no way possible about driving a school bus. Uh, no. So once you hit 70, day dot, that's how you finish. So for example, though, even again nationwide, last year the government actually increased the age at which someone applying for a driving licence had to supply a medical report uh, from 70 to 75. So last year, if you were between 70 and 75, you wanted to drive with a licence, you had to provide a medical report. Now you can do it up to 75. Hmm. And after 75, you provide the medical report. So I think bus airing should follow suit, increase it to 75. And if bus airing are going to be, you know, really difficult about this, if they have such a bee in their bonnet about it, fine. Let people take a medical test. People will take a medical test every year from the age of 70 to 75 if they have to. That mm. is no problem. Let's do it. Where someone is safe to drive, let them drive. Um, and like I said, opening up that cohort of people over the age of 70, they're semi-retired. They want to be able to do it. The job, to be honest with you, you know, it's five days a week in a morning and afternoon. It's no more than five hours, you know, maybe six max, depending on the route that you're doing. So it really makes sense for people of that age group. Equally, if you're in your 50s or 60s, if you've retired early, if you're looking for a bit of a job to do on the side, where is the incentive for you to go into school bus driving or bus driving when you know you're going to be kicked out at 70 because of an arbitrary age that was introduced? It just, it just doesn't make sense. So really what I'm saying is let people drive with the age of 70. Uh, and if you are going to be still pedantic about it, uh, let them take medical tests every year. Like mm. within this country now, anyone can drive a car until the age of 75 without medical supervision. Anybody. So I don't get why it's one rule for the whole country, but bus air and have a rule for themselves. Okay, and it's bus air that makes that rule, I take it? Yes. Okay, uh, just uh, one comment from Tom that you might want to, to react to. He said, uh, you lost credibility when you suggested putting car registrations on the likes of pizza boxes. He says, it's a silly, silly idea. Anyone could put your reg number on an empty box. What then? Do you end up getting fined? Yeah, I think that's a fair point. Um, and when I was talking about this two years ago, uh, people like Tom made that argument towards me. And I would say, in the grand scheme of things, I think it is highly, highly, highly unlikely that an ind- individual is going to go into a rubbish bin to pick out a reg, to put it on a bit of litter, to then throw on the side of the road in the hope that they get caught and fined wrongly for it. Um, and equally, if something like that did happen, there'd be so many ways to say, sorry, I didn't buy mcdonald's at Mm. this time on this day and here's my bank statement to prove it or sorry i wasn't even in the country when you're alleging i did this or i wasn't even in the county so there's so many ways around that i accept what tom's saying i think that's fair but i think in the grand scheme of things i think what he has suggested is highly you know it it would be in such a small number of circumstances and it would be easily resolved if that ever did occur okay we leave it there thanks indeed uh, for joining us Uh, that's uh, finnegale senator john mcgahan Michael Michael Reed on on LMFM. Now, thanks uh, to Anne, who was on the phone to us. Thanks for your call, Anne. She says, why should we keep paying our TV licence fee? Just so that this lot can be paid massively inflated wages? She says she'd love to put that €160 towards new clothes for her kids, or a weekend away, or a dinner out with her husband, instead of topping up Tuberty's, Miriam's or Joe Duffy's pension. Thanks uh, very much indeed uh, for that. And I think a lot of people are very interested now in what uh, these people are earning. And I think maybe the reason you need to pay the 100, actually, maybe that uh, licence fee should be increased from 160 euro to 
that's double it, will be to €320. Uh, And that way then RTE can't put the poor mouth on if uh, we were all to pay 320 instead of 160 No poor mouth nonsense out of RTE. They can say we're rolling in it and they could pay even bigger salaries to their stars and there'd be no shady deals uh, no under the counter, no nod and wink, all above board and everybody would be happy and we wouldn't have to worry about these stars going to the BBC. Imagine it. Um, it's a funny thing. It's a, it's a really funny thing because we do see the ratings in local radio and nobody is listening to those people. Yes, on a national basis when you add it all up and you look at the overall listenership, but if you look at the percentage of listeners listening to any of those programmes in County Loud or look at the percentage of listeners listening to any of those programmes in County Mead, uh, you will see there are very small numbers of people relative to the numbers of people in County Loud who listen to LMFM or in County Mead who listen to LMFM or in County Kerry who listen to Radio Kerry or in County Galway who listen to Galway Bay FM. Uh, RTE really has a very small audience in percentage terms relative to local radio and that is a simple fact. But, God forbid, if uh, those people... uh, who have small audiences were to leave and go to the BBC, maybe nobody would listen to RTE. Maybe that's what it is. Yes, I I think let's go back to the idea of increasing the licence fee to €320 a year so that they can be rolling in it, proud to be rolling in it, and proud to be paying extortionate money uh, to people uh, in order to do... um, very hard work. Now, Barry uh, has been in touch with us about this as well. He says it's not good enough for RTE to say that they'll publish as much as possible of the details in the external review of staff payments. Every single detail of that report needs to be published immediately. The money they use came from the taxpayers and they, the taxpayers and the licence fee payers, have the right to know how every single cent of it is being spent by the state broadcaster. Thanks, Barry. Uh, Well... Um, not all of it has been paid. Uh, Renault paid 75000 didn't they? One year before they pulled out of the deal. Uh, and then RTE came up with the 75000 And then there's this, what is it, 120000 Nobody knows how Ryan Turbidy got it. Uh, and um, nobody can explain that, it seems. Uh, and then there's the question about who else got what. Uh, the Sunday Independent suggesting that there's $50 million being paid over the last few years. Uh, that hasn't been uh, declared. Uh, Tony uh, in touch uh, saying there has to be a way of compelling D Forbes to attend the Oireachtas hearing. She, along with the rest of management, have to answer the many questions uh, that the disclosures have thrown up. The public deserve answers given that they are the ones paying these ridiculous salaries. Anyone involved in these shady financial dealings must be held accountable. Thanks, Tony, for your call as well. Thanks to Marta as, t- as well. She, she's she been on the phone too. And she says it's disgusting to think that taxpayers' money is being used to pay radio, TV personalities ludicrously high salaries, yet no money can be found to help to improve mental health services, disability services, and so many other important community services and groups. The priorities of this country are completely messed up, she says. Thank you, Marta, for your call and I, I think anybody who's been listening to this programme for the last 20 years or however long I've been here will know that I really don't take a, a pop at RTA. I think um, it, it would be perceived to be cheap and 
uh, I suppose, uh, bad form uh, to do it. Um, but I really do wonder about the credibility of people asking about those issues that you raised, Martha. Uh, why are mental health services uh, deprived of funding? What about disability services? What about community services or the groups uh, who are putting out begging bowls? Uh, why doesn't the government fund them? Where's the credibility in a presenter asking questions like that when the presenter is one of the elite, one of the hugely overpaid people in this country, uh, living in a different globe, earning enough money in one year to buy a house, something that takes the rest of us a lifetime to do. Robbie, thank you for your call. Robbie says, hearing the figures that Miriam O'Callaghan, Joe Duffy and Clara Byrne are earning was a real eye-opener. When their contracts are up for renewal, they should be offered a blanket rate of 50000 a year on new deals and told to take it or leave it. They're getting multiples of what they are worth. It's disgusting to see taxpayers' money being squandered in this way. Thank you indeed uh, as well, Robbie, for that. Uh, Let's go to some more of uh, the messages on WhatsApp uh, this time. Dear God Almighty, Michael, I am so sick of the bull crap about Ryan Tuberty and how much he gets paid. So what? Fair play to him for getting away with it, uh, says uh, our caller. Um, The point being made here is what about all of the donkeys in the doll that are getting well overpaid for doing absolutely nothing, only destroying the country, aligning their pockets with all of the pay rises they give themselves and nothing is said about it. What a joke this country is becoming. Well, yeah, I think you can quite rightly criticise the amount of money that politicians are paid, but it is above board. There's nothing underhand about it. We know what they're paid. They declare what they're paid and that is what they're paid. Um, There could be questions, I think, about expenses, but they have to be declared as well, don't they? Um, Whether uh, they're legitimate or should be seen as legitimate is another day's work. Uh, Quite often the expenses are more than the salaries. But uh, what you see is what you get type of thing. If it, it says uh, they're paid 100000 they're paid 100000 It's not like Ryan Tuberty, uh, oh, he's paid 400000 and they don't tell us about the 75000 that they did a deal with Renault about. Just a quick question, says somebody else. Did Ryan pay tax on his extra few bob uh, that was lying in his account? Well, you'd have to presume uh, he did, uh, like all of his earnings. I, I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, I can understand why you're asking. Alan says, stars, don't make me laugh. They wouldn't get a job anywhere and get paid money like that, all mouthing about the homeless and people losing their homes and then laughing all the way to the bank. Thank you, Ellen. Uh, another WhatsApp message uh, from um, Cottle. Cottle in Mornington. He says, they're only stars in their own little bubble, Michael. The sad part is that what these agents demand to be paid would finance several nurses' wages, for example. Uh, and Cottle says, you're absolutely right uh, when it comes to littering. It's a cultural problem. And unfortunately, it starts young. Every day, young kids walk out of our local shop here in Mornington. They pass a bin and they throw their sweet wrappers, empty bottles, etc., onto the ground. This isn't a council problem or a governmental problem. It's just bad parenting, pure and simple. Thank you, Cole, as always. Uh, A listener who tells us they're 70 years old has been in touch. They say they applied to go on a community scheme to cut grass in my area and I was told I'm too old. 
I even volunteered to cut the grass, but again, I was told I was too old to use a lawnmower. God, God, that uh, really would undermine you, wouldn't it? And uh, I'm very sorry to hear that. I'm very surprised. Uh, I'm not. I'm not laughing. I, I'm laughing kind of in bemusement um, because I, I can't understand why anybody would say you're too old at 70 years of age to cut the grass. Anyway, it's a funny old world, as they say. Thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, I do appreciate that, indeed. Uh, 0419832000 is our telephone number. That's 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. That's 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, the price of housing has increased in both County Louth and in County Meath over the course of uh, the three months, but by so little that it's practically not worth mentioning. 1% over the course of uh, the last three months in County Louth and prices increasing by under 1%.8% in County Meath over the course of uh, the same period. Let's hear a little bit more about this survey that comes from the Real Estate Alliance. That's REA. And in studio with us now is Gabriel O'Brien of REA. O'Brien Collins Auctioneers in Drogheda and a very good morning to you Gabriel and thanks for coming in once again. You publish these surveys every three months and you've told us before, probably worth repeating, these are actual sale prices uh, so this is uh, as accurate as it gets. It is indeed and good morning to you Michael and to your listeners. So our surveys are based on actual um, house sales so those are sold prices. It's not asking prices which is what some of the other organisations do for their surveys. So we find that this survey is probably the most accurate out there because it's based on fact. Mm. And we take a, a look at the prices uh, in County Meath. Uh, there's a, a huge variance. Uh, the average price is 300,000. That gives you that increase of 0.8%. Uh, and it's probably not surprising, but in Ashburn, uh, you're going to pay 375,000 on average. That compares to 255,000 in Kells. There's almost 100,000 in the difference. And that's a, a simple case of location, isn't it? It absolutely is. And I think it's... Um you know, the, the prices in County Me they're probably buoyed up by, let's say, Ashburn, Clonny, Dunshockland, Ratoth, their proximity to the M50 and Dublin. And then you've got, you know, further out, you know, maybe Trim and further again, Kells. And they, so there is a big variation there. And I think it's probably explained by proximity to Dublin and, and that alone. Uh, and again, like that, um, the price of property in Drogheda, where you're based, is more expensive than in Dundalk. 280000 on average in Drogheda, 245000 in Dundalk. Uh, but uh, again, the proximity to Dublin a factor in that. It is. It is mm. indeed, Michael. Uh, proximity to Dublin. And I suppose you're talking maybe, you know, 20, 30 minutes uh, shorter commuting times on the train in and out of Connolly. Now, what we've seen is that Drogheda prices in the last quarter haven't increased. So from our survey point of view, they've they've levelled off. Dundalk, is, the further you go out from Dublin, it's generally um, the the market experience there is a bit is a bit further delayed. So perhaps I think you might see that Dundalk could level off mm. as we go.
go through 2023. Mm. So no no price increase as such in, in Drogheda and modest in Dundalk. Okay, so if you bought a house in February, you probably paid the same price today as you would have paid. I think I think fairly much from a, from a second-hand home point of view. We have noticed that new home sales uh, prices are continuing to increase. Um, perhaps not dramatically, but they are continuing to increase where second-hand is levelling off. And I think, Michael, and to say to you and your listeners, that can be explained by the fact that some second-hand homes need to be done up. Mm. They need to be modernised. They need to be contemporised. They need to be made energy efficient. That all costs money. And that costs time and labour. And it's difficult to find people in the construction trade to do that. Whereas people buy the new home and that whole um, purchase is wrapped up in a mortgage, People who are buying second-hand houses, they often come with a mortgage, but they don't have the extra euro in their pocket mm. to do up the house immediately. And that is being reflected in, let's say, the levelling off of second-hand um, sale prices. Mm. And I, I spoke to you three months ago, and this is exactly what you told us to expect, that prices would level off. Very interesting to see uh, the Banking and Payments Federation of Ireland uh, data that is published today. First time buyers are, are uh, applying for mortgages and getting approval in greater numbers uh, than has been uh, the case. Some 4,928 mortgages were approved in May, a 26.4% increase on the numbers in April. Is that of any surprise to you? Um, is it of a surprise? Um, probably not, Michael, for the following reason. We are seeing, I mean, there are new buyers coming to the market every week of the year. Mm. And where you are let's say you have a you know a good mortgageable job and you can raise the mortgage and you can marry that with let's say being being able to avail of the help to buy scheme mm. so for first time buyers generally like to bit like to buy new but not always now depending on how much tax you paid out of i think it is out of four of the previous 5 years you can you can you you are eligible there for a maximum of 30% um, help to buy. So that's which, which so, sorry, sorry, thirty thousand euro mm, mm. Um, help to buy. Now, in most of our cases in selling new home schemes to first-time buyers, they're able to avail to to that maximum or very close to it. Mm. Now, that coupled with uh, let's say a small deposit payment means buying the house is relatively affordable mm. as long as you can afford the mortgage okay. and the new homes come fairly much fitted out. Okay, the, the, the reason I asked you if it was a surprise to you is because it's a surprise to me and probably mm. to many people listening because we hear from so many people who tell us that they'll never manage to get onto the property ladder. Sure, I think the what what we're finding it now, I, I think this comes with the, with the proviso that 60% of buyers in Louth and Meath are coming from outside the area. So they typically are renting in Dublin or living at home in Dublin and they're coming and buying in the commuter counties with Dublin salaries. Mm. That probably is a challenge for, it's a challenge, more of a challenge to buy rather for let's say maybe local people in Louth and Meath who are living locally Mm. and working on local salaries. And uh, maybe there, the new homes prices are going beyond their grasp. And that's where we're seeing that they are redirecting towards, let's say, the better value, second-hand mm. buys. What's the cheapest doer-upper 
you could buy second hand house in oh, Drogheda I'll tell you Michael that's a difficult one to mm. answer it used to be that um, it used to be that you couldn't get uh, it's not so many years ago five or six mm. years ago it was hard to find a property that was under 100,000 mm. we would say now that it's probably very difficult to find a house below 175 to 200,000 okay uh, and the average then is 280,000 yeah uh, would the first time buyer who's getting the 30,000 euro in the help to buy scheme be spending 280,000 or more they're buy- they're spending more than that because yeah. the, because the, mm. the help to buy applies to new build only mm. so therein lies the where whereas the average price of a three bed semi like se- second hand is perhaps you know 280 in Drogheda you'll be you'll be doing well now to buy a new three bed semi for about three hundred and seventy thousand. Right. So there's the mm. guts of a hundred thousand difference there. Mm. I, I, I don't know if you want to comment on it, but it does call into question the equity of uh, that scheme, giving people thirty thousand euro to buy an expensive house when they could well afford uh, the average house in Abs- Absolutely, and I think mm. that's. I think the government and the housing minister needs needs to look at that and be open to helping, you know, mm. young couple, first time buyers get onto the property market um, within the second-hand market mm. because you're quite rightly say there's a differentiation there of 100,000 and it's um, it often the help to buy grant of up to 30,000 max is often the difference between somebody being able to buy a home or not. Mm. Absolutely. Um, tell us uh, uh, about the turnaround of property. I, I think uh, it's not that long ago, maybe about a year ago, uh, when you told us uh, that you had properties on your books for a fortnight or three weeks. Yeah. Uh, how long is it taking to turn around property now? I think you're in Louthen Mead, Michael, you're talking five to six weeks okay. on average. You know, sometimes that can be shorter, sometimes it can be longer. Yeah. It's and still quite short, isn't it? Um, it's still, yeah. it's still, it still is quite short, mm. but there are a lot of, there still are a lot of buyers out there. Mm. But we are noticing, Michael, that they are being a bit more cautious, mm. being a bit more measured, mm. being a bit more considered. And they they know they know very much the value mm. of the money that they're spending because they either have it or they're yeah. borrowing it. So mm. it's their money to spend. Mm. And they're looking at we, we've we've got an environment at the moment where there's been four percent or four interest rate hikes mm. and there's probably two more to come this year. Yeah. So they're looking a little bit around the corner to see mm. is there maybe better value around right. that corner? Yeah. And that's a very difficult question Advise to answer. Advise the place. <laughs> <laughs> I think mm. I think my own my, mm. my adva- I don't I don't mm. see a big property value drop. Yeah, it's flattened out. It's flattened out. Right, yeah. And if you yeah. if you can stress test yourself to having to be in a, to having an affordable mortgage, and that let's say one or two percent interest rate, or get in there on a fixed for the next five ten years, then aren't you still better owning your home, own home, and paying for that than renting? Mm. And often, the mortgage repayment is less than the market rent of that same property. Mm. Uh, and of course. Um when you're selling second-hand property, quite often you're in a, a chain, uh, as people would refer to it. Yeah. And in other words, I, I can't buy your house until you sell yeah. your house and yeah. you can't sell your house yeah. until that 
person uh, manages uh, to complete the sale of their house yeah. uh, and that can go on and on down the chain uh, and I, I think I remember people talking about waiting six months or a, a year before they could uh, actually move on yeah, Michael, I'd say there. That's probably worst case and worst case. But a long scenario. time ago, I think is yeah. the point, which is why I'm making the point because the current situation that you're saying now, whether it was two or three yeah. weeks six months ago, yeah. or five or six weeks now, it really is a short period of time. It it still it, yes, relatively mm. speaking, mm. it still is mm. a very short period of time. I suppose I suppose when you're in the property market and you're dealing with sellers and buyers who are used to maybe a shorter time and everybody's sort of recalibrating a bit, I can possibly see that that turnaround time though extending mm. by another week or two or three for the reasons we've, we've just spoken about um, many buyers of uh, proper sorry some buyers of properties are in chains now it can often it can often hit some roadblocks along the way but I would say more than nine times out of ten, it still works. Mm. But you just have to manage the process very, well, it, very it, carefully it, and very closely. It, it must be working if you're turning property around as yeah. quickly as that. And yeah. That's the well, now, well, now that's yeah. that's the time probably to go sale agreed. Sure. Get, getting it through the conveyance process and all of that is mm. taking another chunk of time. Okay. Uh, let me use some bad language if I can. Go ahead. <laughs> bad language to an auctioneer. That yeah. is ECB. Mm-hmm. Uh, what 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 are the increase in uh, the interest rates from the European Central Bank doing to the Irish property market? Well, we've certainly noticed that um, buyers are taking more time to buy, and probably buyers in this evolving and changing market are feeling that more than vendors are. Because at the end of the day, Michael, they're the ones that have to put their hand in their pocket first. Well, they don't know what they need to get out of their pocket. Well, th- that that is that is true. Mm-hmm. I would still say that when buyers are coming to us, they're generally coming with a mortgage in place mm. or else they're very well into the process. A fixed mortgage in place. Um, we and therein don't, we, lies the problem, yeah. isn't it? You know, because... I, uh, I suppose, Michael, we don't get into the yeah. we don't get into the nitty-gritty mm. of how the buyer... The buyers are coming mm. to us with um, approval and principle letter. Yeah. Okay? Mm. And then once they secure the purchase of the property, it turns mm. into a loan offer. Mm. We, we, as auctioneers dealing with buyers we don't get into you know are they coming with fixed or variable or whatever Mm. I would say anecdotal evidence is they're coming with fixed Mm. for at least maybe three to five years because they need that term certain that there's enough change going on in their lives in buying a house so um, they're certainly coming with with an element of it fixed for let's say three to five years now they as buyers in this evolving market they are taking more time to Mm. buy and they want to see if if possible, that they can get as much bang for their buck as possible. Mm, okay. So that has led into what we spoke about before, which is um, time to go sale agreed, maybe lengthening by one to two weeks. Okay. That really isn't. A, it's an unfortunate uh, turn of phrase because I don't think there's much bang for your buck. Housing is very, very expensive, isn't it, relative to other countries? Um, relative to what we earn. Yes. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's a, a crazy situation that we spend so much money on accommodating ourselves. It is, absolutely. Mm. And people are paying so much rent as well. Mm. And, you know, I for one would really love to work in a normal functioning property market. I don't really know what that is Mm. because we seem to sort of lumber from one uh, one crisis to to another and we have these boom to bust cycles. Mm. Now, I, I think this time around 
the underlying factors where there's not an over concentration on the construction industry and stamp duty like mm. there was in the mid 2000s we don't see we don't see that this time around yeah. but certainly look property is it's yeah it's yeah. it's very expensive well well they say the reason for that is supply and demand the demand is far greater than the supply are, are, are there many houses for offer have you got much for sale on your books at the moment um we 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 probably don't have enough. Right. I mean, notwithstanding okay. yeah. that I'm saying yeah. it, it takes time longer and buyers yeah. are taking longer um, to, to, to buy, let's a little bit longer yeah. to buy. Um, there is more demand than supply out there. Okay. But the one thing I would say, Michael, is that uh, particularly for the second hand market, you need to be a bit more pitch perfect with your asking price um, when you first go to market in order to create the inquiries yeah. that turn into viewings that turn into bids. Okay. If you, if a property is goes to the market at a bit over the a bit over, the, let's say it's mm. true market value. You know, it's very difficult to establish what that is, but based on comparisons, um, if the asking price is a bit higher than its comparatives, I would say it's probably going to languish, and you may have to do a price reduction. So you can't fool even in the market that we're in, and even though there's very mm. good demand, you can't fool it. Okay. People, right. people aren't going to pay over the odds, okay. and nor should they. Good advice, as always. Thank you indeed uh, for coming into us Thank uh, you, this morning and talking to us. Uh, through that, uh, that is Gabriel O'Brien of REA O'Brien Collins Auctioneers in Drada. REA is uh, the group, uh, the Real Estate uh, Alliance. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents Garda are investigating locally, and perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Garda Kyle Waters of Enfield Garda Station joins us for this week's report, and thank you for doing so. We're going to begin with an appeal for anybody who may have witnessed a fatal road traffic collision in Dunboyne, County Meath. Good morning, Michael, and good morning to all your listeners. So, Gardaí and Dunboyne are seeking witnesses to a single vehicle road traffic collision on the R154 Pierstown, Dunboyne, County Mead, between Batterstown and the Blackpool Roundabout at approximately 2.30pm on Saturday, 24th of June, 2023. Gardaí are appealing to anyone who was in the area at the time and who may have dash cam footage to please contact Ashburn Garda Station. The number for Ashburn Garda Station is 018010600. We go to Summerhill Road in Dunboyne next, where Garda are investigating a, a number of incidents which began with a, a burglary and then that was followed with thefts from cars. That's correct, Michael. So Garda and Dunboyne are investigating a burglary and two thefts from vehicles which were parked at properties on the Summerhill Road in Dunboyne between 1.30am and 2.30am in the early hours of Saturday 24th of June this year. A handbag was taken from the house, which was subsequently recovered, and various other electrical goods, including an iPad, were stolen from the vehicles. So Gardaí are appealing for anyone who may have witnessed anything suspicious in the area between these times or who may have information that could assist Gardaí to please contact Ashburn Garda Station. And the number for Ashburn, again, is 01801. 0600. Okay, we go back a, a week in time to last Tuesday or Monday night, Tuesday morning, uh, around half four in the morning, and a stolen car in Dundalk. Correct, Gary and Dundalk are investigating an authorised taken of a 10D Reg silver Toyota Vitz that occurred in the Cedarwood Park area of Cox's Domain of the town on Tuesday, the 20th of June, at approximately 4 30 a.m. 
The injured party reports that two males were observed on CCTV entering the driveway of their house and they left in their vehicle. However, the car was taken without the keys. Guardi are interested in speaking with anyone who may have witnessed anything in the area or those who may have dash cam footage to please contact Dundalk Guardi Station. Dundalk Guardi can be contacted on 042-938-400. Okay, and we'll stay in Dundalk. A burglary that occurred on Sunday to report on next. Correct. Uh, Gary and Dundalk are looking for the public's assistance in relation to a burglary which occurred in the Mulliharlan Road, Dundalk, County Loud, at approximately 1am on Sunday the 25th of June. The rear window of the residence was forced open and the keys to a 08C Reg Blue Mazda Demio were taken. This vehicle was then subject to an unauthorised taken from outside the property. And Gary, you're appealing for anyone who may have witnessed anything suspicious in the area around 1am please contact Dundalk. Dundalk Garda Station is 042-93-88400. And another burglary to report on, this one in Trim. Yeah, this is over closer to my patch. So Garda and Trim are investigating a burglary of the Vodafone shop and industries in the town on Monday the 26th of June at approximately 1.30am. The premises was broken into via the front door and a number of items reported stolen to Garda. Garda are interested in speaking with anyone who may have witnessed anything suspicious in the area or those who may have any information that could assist investigation, to please contact Trim Garda Station on 046-94-815-40. It must be terrible to have your house broken into. Uh, maybe not as terrible as it might be if you get your property returned to you, and that might happen if your property is marked, and there is a special event uh, for people to have their property marked uh, taking place in Drogheda tomorrow. Yeah, that's, that's correct. There's a free property marking event taking place in the GA grounds on O'Reilly's GA ground from 3pm to 6pm. So bring along all your property, trailers, bicycles, lawnmowers, power tools, etc. to have your air code marked on them for free using the property marking machine. So property which is marked is less attractive to criminals. A property marking increases the chances of having your property returned to you in the chances and the events that it was stolen. Okay, and before you leave us, uh, some water advice uh, for our listeners today. Yeah, just a bit of advice now that we're heading into the summer months and the weather is warmer and people are heading to the beach or out in the water. Please take extra care when heading out in the water. Swim where there is a lifeguard on duty where possible. And we'd urge the public not to interfere with any ring boys or other life-saving equipment along the rivers and canal greenways. If you're heading out in the open water, always wear a life jacket and let someone know where you're intending to go. In the event of an emergency contact 112 or 999 and ask for the Coast Guard. Garda Kyle Waters of Enfield Garda Station, thank you indeed. We'll return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. Mary in Trim says, Michael, I'm glad you think most politicians uh, that are getting over €200,000 is okay with you. It's scandalous for a country of its size and pensions for failed politicians is a joke. Thanks, Mary. I didn't say it was okay. (laughs) No, I didn't say it. I said uh, at least we know they get what they say they're getting uh, and there isn't underhand stuff on top of it uh, we'd uh, somebody else saying Michael I feel so sorry for genuine people that just want to stay busy just like your caller half the people on these schemes just do it so as not to be on the dole for not working uh, there's Stevenstown Pond crying out for people to cut grass and tidy flower beds why shouldn't they be over 70 uh, um, they just want to stay active trades people that could help out so much uh, with these schemes to pass on their knowledge and admit makes me so sad. Uh, another WhatsApp message from Mary saying Michael would you believe there are some people uh, on RTE defending Ryan Turbity? Totally share the sentiment
sentiments your listeners expressed today. I'll just add the means test for carers allowance. How would these seriously high paid people in RTE know or understand ordinary people or even how much the carers allowance is? How could someone like Joe Duffy or his ilk understand people on low incomes? The only thing uh, they can do is highlight it on his programme. Thank you, Mary. That's the final word today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.